Welcome to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast, where AOPA's legal and medical certification staff, along with leading industry voices, take on the challenges and developments that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, to becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us and uh, welcome. This is Gary Crump. I'm the director of our medical certification group in the AOPA Pilot Information Center. This is a continuation of our series of podcasts brought to you by the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association Pilot Protection Services, PPS. For those of you who have been following us for a while here, one of our great editorial contributors is Dr. Ken Stahl from uh, Miami. And for those of you who have been following things, he has written a series of great articles dealing pretty much with things in the neuroscience realm, risk mitigation, how we make decisions, how we correct mistakes. And uh, it's been going on for, Ken, I'll say how long here, probably four or five or six months at least. It's it's been a a long series of terrific articles. And today we're going to kind of expound on those articles a little bit and uh, talk about some of the the concepts that Ken talked about in the last five or six articles that you've read about. And then also we're going to pick up where we left off with the last podcast that we did several months ago, Ken. And uh, that was a great story about a a, a good friend of yours, Doug Downey. So why don't you kind of start us with that podcast, and then we'll uh, continue on and kind of plug in the gaps here as we move forward on this topic today. Terrific, Gary. Thanks so much. And uh, it's truly a pleasure to be with with you and all the AOPA pilots. As you mentioned, the last podcast was the story of a really good friend of mine, who flew the uh, F-117 Nighthawk for the Air Force. And the incident, and briefly, and certainly it's, it's written in the, in the AOPA Pilot Protection Services section and uh, discussed in the last podcast, was he was practicing single-engine approaches for the simple reason that by practicing emergency procedures, you get good at them and turn what could be a very frightening, instantaneous, and sometimes mission-ending problem into something that far from routine, but certainly the thought process has already worked through to solve the problem. And he was describing to us exactly how he had made a very safe return to the airport after a single-engine approach that culminated in flaming out of the one engine that he was flying on. So as he describes, he went from a, a stealth fighter to a Stealth cinder block in a matter of moments, and the points he made were were so were so beneficial for all of us as pilots. And he basically stressed the fact that he had, this is the first time he ever flew a glider, but he had thought so much about this potential problem happening, and he thought about how he would solve this problem if it ever happened to him. And picking up on those two themes. What I have laid out in an article, a series of articles that are entitled Fingerprints, is not only understanding your own thinking process, but understanding exactly how you as an individual make individual decisions and what your individual propensity to make a bad decision might be. We all have very unique and personal fingerprints on the end of our fingers. We also have unique and personal fingerprints of decision-making. And 
Gary, just as you were saying, there's some recent neuroscience that spends a good deal of time researching the fact that we have imprinted in our brains individual patterns of thinking through problems, of making decisions. The other critical part of this for pilots is separating the fact that knowledge and decision-making are two very different skills, and certainly in an emergency, they're different safety skills. Just knowing what to do doesn't necessarily mean that you will choose the right decision. And how you make those decisions is exactly what your own individual decision-making fingerprints are. And by understanding how you make those decisions correctly and incorrectly are your own individual fingerprints for error. And that's essentially where the topic comes up and there's some more detail on exactly how you do make those decisions in the in the series as you described, Gary. Right. Yeah, and, and Ken, just to throw in from the FAA angle here a little bit, you know, in the last oh, probably 10 years or so, the FAA has, has become more and more sophisticated in their evaluation of airmen with certain conditions that could impact their neurocognitive function. So now for just about every case that involves some type of neurofunction, strokes, TIA, substance abuse dependence, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the FAA is now actively using a battery of tests called the neurocognitive evaluation to determine if there is any residual neurocognitive deficits lingering after some type of a brain insult, chronic disease, uh, head injury, substance abuse, something like that. So, you know, this is not just, uh, you know, out there in the periphery of neuroscience. This is very much real-time stuff for for us as pilots who um, may find themselves in that situation where we have to interact with the FAA and, and get a letter from the FAA saying, hey, we need a neurocognitive evaluation. And, um, you know, this is a battery of tests that look for different areas of cognitive function, executive processing, decision-making, short-term, long-term memory, task saturation, all kinds of neurocognitive functions. So this all plays right into what we're talking about, Ken. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very timely, and I think that's why these, these series of articles that you did for us were so well-received because this is, this is the kind of stuff that people really glom onto and are really fascinated by because these are things that we intuitively know, but we don't know the science behind them. We just kind of, you know, we know what they are. So it's been a great series, and uh, your discussion and the article about Doug's experience really brought this home for real for, for all of us. Well, for sure. Thank you. And, I, and that also goes to the point that pilot training now really has progressed just beyond stick and rudder skills. And pilot-based training now is something, as you very well know, the FAA refers to scenario-based training. And that's really exactly this. There's, there's a lot of models of how adults learn, how adults solve problems, even how you can solve problems around a time where you may have had a neurocognitive insult, meaning, you know, some minor or unfortunately sometimes more significant injury to your brain with a stroke, like you said, interruption of blood flow or even head trauma, which causes chronic decision-making problems. There's two authors who wrote a very interesting study that I quoted in the article P.G. Schrader and Kim Wallace, they wrote an article that models adult learning on something that they call a CABO theory, K-A-B-O, which stands for knowledge, attitude, behavior, and outcomes. And 
knowledge is ground school. It's, it's stick and rudder skills, but attitude is clearly one of the most important of those four functions because the combination of knowledge and attitude really form your behaviors. And there's so many times where pilots really truly know the regs and they know what's safe and sound and they choose not to do that. And even that decision, whether it's fly below minimums or, or break any number of regs with sleeping or, you know, perhaps partying too much too close to the time of a flight, those are all behavioral issues. And certainly the, the FAA can't legislate silliness in the cockpit or maybe even, frankly, some, some more than silly, some dangerous things. But the articles go into some depth about how we use our attitudes to pick out knowledge to make good decisions. And that's, that, that is all about our own individual propensity to, to use our attitude to pick the wrong decision. One other point about this whole benefit of the of the FAA training in, in neurocognitive function is that we all know we make mistakes. And frankly, I, I would hold myself out as a poster child for this, but we, we kind of hide our mistakes in some very secret and sacred places. Not only do we hide them from the FAA for good reason to keep our license, but we hide them even from ourselves. And the second part of the article in the fingerprint series really offers some some very practical skills that any pilot can take advantage of to fingerprint themselves i mean literally and figuratively to understand their decision making attitudes and their their own potential to make the wrong decision even though we know better yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk about uh, that probably here in the next few minutes as we get a little bit further into this. I want to ask you about the cable theory a little bit because when you say attitude and you you mentioned and talk about this in the in the first part of the fingerprints article that you did for us a couple of months ago. We talk about attitude. Are we talking about an overt attitude like we've all known um well we'll just put it in pilot perspective somewhere on the scale between humility and arrogance. You know, that's that sliding scale where, uh, you know, we think our experience is going to get us there or our knowledge. How does the attitude define in this theory that, that Schrader and Lawless put together? Great question. And it kind of comes down to something that I tell my kids I, when I train residents in surgery in the operating room. What I always try and emphasize is that the hardest voice to hear very often is that little voice in the back of your head. And that little voice in the back of your head is generally telling you not to do something stupid. And, you know, it's like I always swore I would never say to my own children what my parents had told me, but I'm guilty of that too. But, I mean, how many times have you heard or said to your own kids, you know better? And the fact is that you do know better. There's no doubt that, that pilots, by and large, are extremely knowledgeable about all the physics and, the, and flight configurations. The attitude, though, is really a, one thing the FAA has talked a lot about in, their, in using this as a metric for error is hubris, is that it's just that same old thing as, oh, that'll never happen to me. And right. some pilots are clearly willing knowing that this is a bad choice to make those choices anyway. So 
you have to have an ability almost to hear that little voice of warning in the back of your head. And attitude is, is your willingness to let that little voice in the back of your head saying, oh, wait a minute, we're not going below minimums one more time. Or, look, you know, you really didn't sleep well last night. You're not flying today. Or perhaps it's even something as hard as having had a couple of drinks. I mean, the AAA, the, the automobile and the NTSB societies stress this thing about give your car keys to someone else. Or, you know, if you've had a couple of drinks, call call a ride or get a ride, but don't get behind the wheel. And it's not that people don't know the risks of that behavior, but people are willing to take those risks. And that's exactly what Wallace is describing as an attitude. And that's what I've decided to call this little fingerprinting is if you consistently are willing to bend the regs in an airplane or have a couple of drinks and drive home anyway, or whatever the individual situation is, you just are deaf to that little voice of warning in the back of your head. So the attitude that they teach so much is that attitude to be able to, first of all, obviously know something to to accrue the knowledge, whether it's from a textbook or practice, but the attitude of picking out of various knowledge options, the truly safe one, defines the B in the CABO theory, which is your behavior. And certainly that all adds up to the outcomes, either a safe trip home, a safe flight, a ride from a friend, and then the next day going back to the parking lot with your car keys and picking up your car and driving it home. I mean, that, that skill is of using an, a correct attitude, a safety conscious attitude of making the right choice from your bank of knowledgeable choices is really the skill of attitude. And as the article say, the only way to identify your tendency to have the wrong attitude about some risks is, is some of these piloting skills that, that wrap up the article in the second part. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned in the article that uh, this, this study that indicates that neither knowledge nor the attitudes are necessarily strong predictors of behavior alone. So it's like all three of these these factors are, are sort of independent and yet interdependent as well, or actually all four of them really, uh, including the outcome. So there there's a real synergy in that uh, in that equation. Even though they some of those elements stand alone, they're they're all very much interconnected and, and boil down to like we talk about the accident, you know, the chain of events that leads to an accident. But one thing for sure that you touched on is, you know, in our day-to-day dealings with members here on the phone, it's it's kind of surprising, and this FA bears this out too, at the the number of pilots who are still having problems with motor vehicle actions involving alcohol use. It's still <laughs> it's still really a, a very big part of the FAA certification. Uh, I'll say pathology for lack of a better term here, they see a lot of medical applications in which uh, DUIs are still being reported. So, you know, that kind of bears out what you're, what you're talking about is that, you know, we all know that difference, but obviously the individuals that really have a, a significant substance dependence problem, now if they're suffering from the disease, that's one thing, but, you know, the, the occasional pilot that goes out, uh, goes to a, a wedding reception and, 
and knows that he's going to be he or she's going to be drinking and then decides to drive after the fact you know that example of knowing the right thing to do and still doing the wrong thing absolutely and just i mean translate that into this little vocabulary of this article as well as the faa is doing is looking at that fingerprint of dui risk and saying you know that's clearly one of your error patterns and certainly driving accidents and dui they map almost directly over to aviation accidents because it's just it's an attitude problem it's not lack of knowledge just as you said it's just that attitude that oh uh, you know i can do it even though no one else can i I'll be, i can always do that and right. the fact of the matter is you can't that's exactly um, right and unfortunately the penalties are pretty severe now over the last probably 20 years you know the faa's policy and position on alcohol-related motor vehicle actions has really, really tightened up significantly at the urging of both the NTSB and uh, numerous recommendations for how the FAA should handle those cases, but also I believe Congress got involved in that many years ago as well. So, you know, a single DUI isn't handled today nearly like it was 20 years ago, and it's in, in many cases pilots are being subjected to a very extensive and expensive and very frustrating and long drawn out evaluations after even just a single DOI. So it's, uh, you know, just one example of kind of what we're talking about here, but it's a, it's a very prevalent example. Let's talk a little bit about the second part of the fingerprints article and uh, get into these. I, I love the way you use some of the acronyms in here. That's what I've always had to keep up with in your in your articles is uh, you know all these acronyms that you use. But let's talk a little bit about error-producing conditions. That's uh, another term that came up in your article, and you wrote some great background on the, the whole concept of, of EPCs. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Thanks, yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. One thing that you can do as a simple skill, and I mentioned this in the second article that you referred to, is keep just a diary of the patterns that you tend to make errors on. And obviously, maybe it's trying to fly your airplane after a long day's work when you're fatigued or whatever the specific issue is. But if you just simply write down every time that you've made a mistake, and like I said, we we hide these things pretty deep inside, so this can be a truly painful exercise. All that said, if you're willing to try and give yourself another tool to hear that warning voice in the back of your head, and you simply write down every time you've made an incident and an error that increases your risk of anything less than a perfectly safe flight or even a perfectly safe drive home, then some patterns will emerge. And those patterns are exactly as you've described. They're, they're conditions that first described by scientist in Great Britain, whose name is J.C. Williams, and he, he was hired by the nuclear power industry to try and identify exactly what those fingerprint characteristics were. And their sets of conditions when they exist really portend a higher risk of a mistake. And you can discover your own individual sets of error-producing conditions by keeping a simple diary of those mistakes. And I talk about, you know, holding myself up as anything but perfect and an example of making mistakes of some of the error patterns that I identified in myself. And one of them I mentioned in my own error-producing condition was 
when I'm handed another frequency from air traffic control, I pretty much get it right entering it into the radio, the back, you know, the, the flip-flop or even the number two radio. But, I mean, I just forget to, to hit the flip-flop or turn to the number two radio to make the call. And it's it just drives me crazy when the controller says, uh, you know, you're you're still on center frequency or whatever, switch to so-and-so and so-and-so. I mean, I know I'm not the only one because you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah. So that was really something that kept I kept track of. And then I also realized from this record that I kept that I was tending to make these mistakes kind of later in the flight. And, well, that goes along perfectly with just simple, you know, getting bored, tired, fatigued, whatever it is. But then I realized that something else happens very late, like at the end of every flight, which is landing the airplane, which is the most critical phase of flight. If you look at statistics, an overwhelming majority, something between 65 and 85% of accidents happen in the last six to seven minutes of the flight. And so I got this bell going off in my head, you know, you, your mistakes that you notice in your own self happen late in the flight, which gave me a very keen insight into my own fingerprint, my own error potential, my own error producing conditions, which is, you know, fatigue, boredom later in the flight that I was tending to, to make mistakes. And I think that was a very valuable individual insight that I had. And I hold myself again up as an example of how to identify an individual pattern of mistake, an individual potential for producing errors, a condition, an error producing condition. And the obvious benefit of this is that if you have advanced warning of a tendency to make a mistake, you will ramp up your your whole thinking process, your whole, whole vigilance against making a mistake. And for me, it was, a, it was insightful, a little painful, but very insightful. And I would very much recommend just a simple process of having a diary of your own mistakes and errors and even incidents that are, are innocent but could have been worse. And look at that. Just write it all down and, and sit down in the evening and, and look at your patterns. And I think you would find that there are ways that you can have advanced warning of your potential to make a mistake. And just like Doug Downey said, he, he didn't have a problem because he, he almost could predict when it would happen, which was, as he said, I dare this airplane to fail me. And if yeah. it does, I have a whole, you know, in my quiver of arrows here, I have a whole bunch of ammunition to fight those, those risks. And that's exactly what those fingerprints are about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably one of the most valuable lessons that I, I personally got from Doug's experience and, and how he, he has it ingrained that everything is going to fail. The flight is, you know, there's, something's going to go wrong. I think that's such a, a healthy and pragmatic way to, to, to look at flying for sure. I think years ago, the um, I think it was the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, had a statistic that said the majority of like 80% of motor vehicle accidents happen within 25 miles of the driver's home. And uh, that so well correlates with the NTSB data of, of, you know, the accident rate within the last few minutes of a flight. So even though, and you know, we often get in the argument of, of not 
comparing flying an airplane with driving an automobile, our brains pretty much function the same way whether we're driving a car or flying an airplane as far as our our decision making processes. So it's it's I think it's maybe helpful to to look at it in that uh, perspective of in, in that case, you know, <laughs> flying and driving are not that far removed when it comes to um, how our brains are actually reacting to what's going on. I totally agree and I and that's why I think that errors you make potentially driving really give you very much of an insight into errors that you're equally at risk for in the air. And that's that whole attitude thing. As I said in the second part of the article, another thing I noticed is I tend to be an impatient driver. I tailgate, I run yellow lights. I'm not a whole lot different from everything else. Everyone else on the road, it doesn't make it right though. That's and, exactly. You know, by, by understanding my own fingerprint of potential error, which is, just an attitude issue to push the regs just a little bit. I believe that I was able to correct some of those propensities in my own self by recognizing them. And you certainly can't fix a problem if you don't even recognize that it exists. How true, how true. And I want to close out this segment with one of your last comments in the the part two of the fingerprints article. And and I would encourage all of you uh, who are listening to this to go into our, our PPS archives on our AOPA website if you haven't seen these articles or if you've read them before and decide it's time to reread them. I've uh, read several of them more than one time, and it's it's like reading a great novel. You get something new out of it every time. But I think, Ken, one of the, the great points you make is all this neuroscience now actually dispels the myth, and you make this point so well, that we can't really predict the future when, in fact, with the knowledge that we have and the skills and the tools that we have at our disposal, we can sort of see what could be going to happen if you know if we don't take the path that we're going to take. So your comment is that the, the past is the best prediction of the future, and our own error tendencies and trends predict our element of safety. I think that's just so well written and it's just it's it's been really spelled out well in the in the articles that you've done for us. Well thank you. I I mean I agree. I, I think you can predict the future a bit, which kind of led into the next series of articles that we could perhaps discuss at another time on another podcast. Right. And we'll uh we'll be following that up in the very near future with another podcast and continuing this. But for now I'm going to close it out. This is Gary Crump. I am the director of the medical certification group in our pilot information center at AOPA. And uh, Dr. Ken Stahl is a trauma surgeon and a great educator and active pilot uh, down in Miami. And he's been writing for us for, uh, what, over a year now, Ken? I lost track of time, but quite a while. Actually, over two years. Wow. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. So, But Ken's been a, a, a great asset to our PPS team here, and we're so gratified that he can join us to do these podcasts. And we'll, we'll be doing it again uh, soon. But for now, I'm going to sign off. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you down the road. Fly safe. Thanks for tuning in to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast. We'll be back soon with more of your favorite topics and guests in general aviation. Pilot Protection Services is available only to AOPA members, and over 64,000 of those members choose to protect their certificates with PPS. It's a service we're proud to provide. Fly safe, and we'll see you soon.